Hello, and welcome to Creston Global's The International Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Hannah, your host, and we're back with two new incredible guests to continue our discussions around the entrepreneurial mindset. Today, we're traveling up the continent to North America to get their take on the Creston Global Entrepreneur Report. If you've just joined us as a new listener, I'd recommend listening to episode one, part one, for some general housekeeping on how this podcast works. But in short, we'll be speaking with our guests for two episodes, where the discussion will be split over a part one and part two, part two being released next week, to keep these sessions easily digestible for busy listeners. I'm thrilled to have our episode five entrepreneurs here today representing the US arm of Creston Global. Would you both like to introduce yourselves to the listeners and maybe give a little background on how you both got into accounting respectively in the first place? Sure. Yeah, I'm Gary Clentworth. I'm actually currently a senior managing director of the CBiz ARC group, which is in San Francisco. And um, I started my own business 16 years ago with the idea and thought of sitting in between the uh, audit team and the client in order to kind of help them navigate from Series A investment, essentially, all the way through some kind of a liquidity event. So um, I primarily work on technology and software, um, health tech and fintech companies. But previously, uh, I was I was at Arthur, I started Arthur Anderson. Um, I left when they imploded and uh, took most of my client base to Grant Thornton. So I was there for about a couple of years, started our business risk consulting practice there. Um, and then uh, went into industry for a year and a half to a public publicly traded software company that was actually trying to get into international business at the time um, and sort of failed a little bit. Um, and then they were sold and I started my own business. Um, joined CBiz uh, through an acquisition about two years ago. And uh, that's kind of been my, my journey so far. I'm Dan Johnson. I'm a managing director with CBiz in the Tampa Bay, Florida practice. Um, like Gary, I started my career with Arthur Anderson and was there until it imploded as well, uh, spending most of my time in the Tampa practice, but also in the early days in Chicago. Um, from there, I joined what was a uh, one office local firm in the Tampa Bay area and was part of that practice for about 10 years until we sold that to CBiz in 2010. So we've been uh, part of CBIS for about 12 years now. Um, I, uh, overall about 30 years in public accounting, uh, all of that in the audit practice. I was an audit partner for, for many years, signing audit reports, both public and private companies. Um, and about uh, five or six years ago, I switched to a role where I manage large client relationships and focus on finding new business for CBIS. Uh, but no longer signing audit reports. So I get a unique perspective in that I get to work with more clients than I would have in my previous role um, and also get to work with more uh, groups within CBiz as opposed to just our business unit in Tampa. I get to work with Gary. I get to work with our private equity advisory, our risk advisory services, our valuation practice. 
So um, much more well-rounded. And, and for that matter, some of the other employer services businesses that CBIS offers in employee benefits and um, uh, other risk management services. Now, we usually do a brief warm-up question just to get you as guests in the flow, as well as allow the listeners a little more insights into you as people. So if you wouldn't mind humouring us, if you could have dinner with anyone in the world, past or present, who would it be and why? So for me, um, it would be my parents. Um, They've just meant so much to me in my life overall, um, in my career, um, helping me to start my own family. I get to have uh, dinner with my dad on a regular basis. My mother passed many years ago, uh, but uh, uh, if I could sit down with the two of them at any given time, I would uh, I would gladly do it. I don't know. This might sound 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 a little bit strange, but um, I I would love to have uh, lunch with Jesus. Like I, I have this fascination with just sort of history and just like everything and and. Um, you know, I, I feel like that um, I, I'm I'm the kind of person that'll take a meeting with anybody, and as a result, like I, I sit back and I ask questions and I learn stuff. Um, and and there's a lot of people that I would love love to do that with, but that was the first thing that came to mind for me, like just um, just just of interest. So now I know you're both busy people, so let's get straight into it. What were your thoughts on the findings in the white paper overall? Did you think there were any big surprises or was it all generally what you'd expect to see for the most part? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, I wasn't surprised by a lot of the things that were in the white paper. But the thing that I was a a little bit uh, surprised about was just that there's there seemed to be more reasons to expand international for for various businesses in different industries more than just, you know, tax advantages, cheaper labor. Um, and then also accessing markets for, for other customers. Um, as we know right now, like the supply chain is, is, um, is very interesting. Um, and, and I feel like that in some cases, I've seen companies that are at certain stages. It could be early on or it could be a little bit later stage, um, where, you know, they're looking for tax advantages and that's the only thing that they're looking for. And they go and, and they sort of, you know, fail miserably in terms of, um, only thinking of it sort of on a one track mind basis, um, because the opportunities that exist, I think, are, are, are not only on, um, you know, labor market, supply chain, tax advantages, um, but then also understanding and, and accessing, you know, international customers. Um, I've worked on probably 45 public offerings in the last seven years. And, um, you know, a lot of times, the story that they're telling in the filing, um, the S-1 registration statement filing, is that they've they've mastered the market here in the United States, and um, you know their growth is going to come from international expansion. Um, but a lot of times it, it's it's not proven yet, um, but they haven't actually um, you know really done their homework in some of those markets and um, and really putting together financial forecasts and and betting on on future future growth internationally. Um, it takes a lot of strategic thought and, and a lot of time and, and effort. And so, um, you know, there's there's certain things that I think companies can do a little bit better um, and a little bit earlier, but then also in a thoughtful manner. Um, and I think partnering with somebody who has either been there, done that before is a good idea. And, and also advisors like us were, 
where we've seen what makes or helps businesses succeed and fail um, in sort of you know expansion, either international or, or, or otherwise. So I think the study is very interesting in that, um, you know, I've had an opportunity to work with lots of international clients over time. And one thing I have found is that those that have international operations conduct it just like any other part of their business. Um, they don't think too much about, oh, it's international versus it's domestic. Um, whereas those that are considering going into being international, there's this level of fear that exists of, oh gosh, if I do that, what mistakes am I going to make? How, how will problems be out there and, and how will I deal with them when they come up? Um, so it was interesting to see some of the sort of barriers that uh, folks consider as they look at international expansion uh, and taking that uh, what I call leap of faith, which is making the first move um, to, to become an international company and whether that's uh, looking for uh, better suppliers or looking to grow your customer base or both. I think the, the most successful companies do both. Um, uh, the, the study re really gives some interesting insights into what, uh, what companies are considering um, in making that uh, first step toward international. And I think uh, Gary's right that uh, having the right advisors in place um, that they can count on and go to um, to do their research, but also once they've made that uh, made that jump, that uh, they know that they've got uh, the ability to be supported in, in in their growth plans. And what were your thoughts on the findings, more specifically in relation to your region and the countries where you work most? Any key takeaways you think the listeners should really pay attention to at all? So I'll start on that one. Um, for me, I think um, one of the key findings was that um, in other parts of the world, um, uh, entrepreneurs, which is a great term that I had not heard before, um, are more likely to consider international expansion, I believe, than, than um, U.S. entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs. Um, it, uh, it, it seems more of a um, matter of course for um, businesses, uh, particularly in, in China and India, uh, as I read this survey, um, to, to expand internationally. Uh, I think in the U.S. there's um, uh, maybe a little more thoughtfulness behind it, meaning there has to be a very compelling reason to, um, to make that jump. And then once they do... Uh, again, I think uh, uh, folks understand that there could be some challenges along the way, but um, but they're willing to deal with it um, because uh, because they see the benefits of of expanding their markets or again um, um, having the right suppliers in place. Yeah, I, I agree with Dan. I mean, I think that um, I, I was surprised by that 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 people you know in the U.S. were sort of a little bit on, on, on the other end of the spectrum. Cause I, I do see that like a lot of people in the United States, they, they want to expand internationally for various reasons. I think that a lot of the, the, the folks that are international, I mean, there's, there's obviously, um, there's a great labor force. There's, um, you know, I guess, you know, sort of cheaper, I guess, if you will, to, to, to do certain things. And um, and then there's a big market here in in the U.S. and I feel like that the United States is um, you know, here domestically. Uh, you know, we sort of we've sort of grown to expect you know um, cheaper, right? And and we've kind of expected that, and, and we expected it to be um, you know sort of 
sort of real time and, um, you know, instant gratification in terms of, um, of, uh, things arriving at our doorstep. But, um, you know, it, it was a little bit surprising to hear kind of that, uh, that the internationally they're, they're more willing to, to expand here, here domestically and, and probably for just for nothing more than the markets really. What has been your personal experiences of working with entrepreneurs who may just be starting out on their global expansion? Do you have any personal experiences you can share with the listeners to maybe help those who are just on the cusp of making that business decision? Yeah, I mean, I can, I can, I can sort of give you give you an example. Um, you know, I've I've only been in industry. I was only in industry for about a year and a half uh, in my career. And, um, you know, I spent probably half of my time unwinding a very complex structure, um, international structure that they had set up that, that really they didn't think far enough in advance on. Um, and, and, and it, it related to, you know, tax structuring. It related to, um, how the market would materialize for their products and services internationally. Um, not really doing homework, um, you know, like they should have on, on actually pricing in, in the international marketplace, um, currency hedging. I mean, there was a lot of, there's, there's, there's so many things that are involved with actually entering into a market. Um, and, and, you know, they had set up a fairly complex legal entity structure, a complex tax structure, um, and, and probably didn't have the, the perfect advisory in place. Um, but, but we spent a lot of time, a lot of time unwinding that because the transactions didn't materialize and putting IP overseas probably wasn't the best idea and, and a few other considerations. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, I see that a lot where people are, are sort of jumping in, um, and not, not really thinking critically about the impact and then also the investment that needs to be made. Um, you know, there's, there's some interesting structuring that, that happens in China just to be able to do business. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, most people are, are, are working through those, those, uh, issues as well. Yeah. So from my perspective, when I've worked with international clients, it's been primarily on the compliance side. And, um, this is an area where, especially those that are just getting started in the international arena, have some real challenges. Um, they don't uh, spend the time up front to understand um, the local requirements related to employees, related to uh, tax filings, statutory audit filings. Um, that can become big challenges when um, those items are now due or um, you know, employees aren't given the right amount of uh, time off. Um, uh, basic things that if you're in that country, you know that they're required, but if you're just entering it, uh, you, you, um, you don't have uh, all the information that you need. So I think it's really, um, again, getting the right advisors because um, having an advisor that's in that country that you're expanding to um, can, uh, can, can really make a big difference as companies are um, uh, expanding. Um, I think that's it on that topic. Yeah, and I think just to, just to your point though, is um, you know, there's always sort of this buy versus build you know concept in my mind. Like, and it 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 deals with pretty much everything that I think a lot of businesses are, are um, when they're trying to expand. And the one thing that I didn't see a whole lot of information on um, here was just the inorganic versus organic sort of growth mindset, right? And 
And to Dan's point, like having somebody locally on the ground that's kind of been there, done that, and expanding internationally through an acquisition versus, um, you know, just starting a legal entity and starting from scratch. And, and in some cases that, that can be riskier. Um, but then in other cases, it's, it's almost very necessary, um, in order to understand that market or have somebody that's been there and done that and be able to sort of have some level of immediate success in, in the expansion. And, um, you know, I've seen several of my clients that are, that are in the, the e-tail or, um, you know, some kind of space where, um, they want to get into an international market and it, and, and they, they go and they identify a, a company to acquire. And then they have local boots on the ground immediately that have, have sort of um, been there, done that. Now I do see that the, um, you know, sometimes the you know language barriers um, and and thinking about sort of reporting requirements from a statutory perspective, um, as well as just general systems and ERP information and how that's going to work, whether the local company is going to continue to maintain their own accounting and just report back to us here in the you know domestically. Or, you know, the parent, or if, you know, it's that, you know, you go and you do a full-blown international, you know, ERP rollout, and, and we do that as well. So we spend a lot of time with our clients figuring out how to get them on the right system, get the right information in a timely fashion in order to, in order to report and make decisions. Yeah, it's interesting, Gary. You know, one mistake that I've seen made is that companies just start operating in an international location. They don't actually go through the process of setting up the right entities, and it's inevitable that the local authorities there will um, will reach out and um, ask why you haven't set up those entities and what you're going to do about it. And when you're in that situation that you're uh, you're now behind, it's much more difficult than if you do it right from the beginning. And what, from your perspective, is the defining mindset of the entrepreneurs that you've worked with and indeed successful entrepreneurs? What what makes people really good at that global expansion? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think that from a mindset perspective, like the ability to define issues is, is super important early on. And, you know, you can't define all those issues yourself. You have to surround yourself with the people that have either been there and done that before, um, and then also just identifying the opportunities. Um, and and there's you know there's always there's always ways to to solve to solve issues, right? And like it may not be jumping into something right away, but it, from a timing perspective, it may be later. Um, and then I also feel like that super important in developing relationships, and it's not just you know people that have done done it before, but also developing relationships with you know, internationally and, and understanding that and understanding that the world is a global economy. Yeah, I think the um, mindset of expanding internationally, it's no different than the mindset of starting a company um, in the first place, that you have to have some grit and determination, belief in your product and service, um, and that would allow you to get things started. But as we've shared, that uh, doing at least a a minimal amount of research as you expand, um, just as you would as if you're starting a company, um, that, that's critical. And the idea is you want to avoid the catastrophic mistakes that are going to put you out of business or not allow you to operate in that country. 
while also being prepared that there will be more minor mistakes that will come up that are the, the learning experiences. Those are the things that allow you to pivot the company to, uh, uh, to become better, stronger, um, to grow quicker. Um, and again, having the right advisors, the right um, local connections will allow, you, will allow those that are expanding internationally to, to accomplish their goals. Yeah, the thing that I love about just being in the role that I'm in is that I'm able to actually see what makes companies succeed and fail. And like that, I just, it, it fascinates me in terms of the little details that they might not pay attention to that um, can have severe consequences. But then also, um, you know, having leadership that's kind of been there and done that before and they've learned from prior mistakes, as Dan said, which is, you know, we all learn from our mistakes. Um, and, you know, the best way is to, to have leadership that's kind of gone through those and, and now is able to, you know, or advisors that have gone through that with, with other companies and can bring sort of best practices to the table. I think we'll leave it there for this week. We've covered loads of great stuff and I'm sure this is all invaluable to our listening entrepreneurs and anyone who's interested in global business, really. As always, there's a link to the research report in the podcast description and join us again next week to finish the conversation with Gary and Dan. Lots more to come. Until then, have a great week and catch you next time. Bye.